Hello, everybody, and um, I'm Irina, and today I'm talking to Adam Yurominko, the creator of Zero Tier One. Uh, and Zero Tier One is a virtual local area network for unlimited users. So you can bring thousands of people into essentially kind of under one sort of wireless connection to share files or play games. So I'm really excited to have Adam here today. Hi, Adam. Hey, I'm glad to be able to speak with you today. Um, so uh, to talk a little bit about what Zero Tier One is, it is a, uh, as you said, it's a virtual private, uh, essentially a type of virtual private network. Um, the sort of one-liner that I like to give is literal social networking. So the idea is, uh, for example, we're on a Google Hangout right now. Uh, and if we wanted to, we could invite more people. We could invite five, six, seven people and have a big uh, Google Hangout party with a whole lot of people viewing. Um, Zero Tier One lets you do something like that, but with uh, in virtual local area networks. And it lets you do it up to very, very, very large sizes. So uh, right now it's an alpha. Um, what if kind of sizes are we talking about, Adam? Um, in in simulation, I've done uh, I've done simulations where it's scaled up to millions of users. Millions. So, so uh, and it runs. It so uses, large numbers. Yeah, it, it, it uses a peer-to-peer -peer technology, so it doesn't require that the zero tier that that the network that I run actually handle all that traffic. It actually uh, causes nodes to connect directly with each other. So uh, that and. Uh, it, the way it scales up, uh, if you go to blog.zerotier.com, there's an article called How Then Should It Not Work, which actually talks about what sorts of uh, algorithmic things were done to uh, make a LAN actually scale to those sizes and make it degrade in a way that remains useful and interesting to people. Um, and there's actually a technology that I developed called implicit social uh, switching which uh, what it does, in, it sounds like a mouthful, but what it does in practice is um, the way an ordinary LAN works is, uh, you know, you send out a broadcast message on the LAN and everybody gets it. Well, obviously that can't work with, you know, 10 million people on the same LAN. So mm -hmm. what it does is it sends it out to people that you have recently communicated with and then it propagates using something called a graph exploration algorithm to people that they've recently communicated with so in practice, what this does is if, uh, let's say that you and a dozen other people are playing the same game on the LAN, then you're also going to see each other's iTunes shares because you're close. You form a social cluster. If you disconnect from that game and everybody visits the same website on the LAN, you're going to see the iTunes shares of the other people that are looking at that website. So it's kind of like a real-time automatically reconfiguring uh, sort of... Um, uh, social network that works by um, by uh, graph propagation sort of stuff. I mean, I'm not going to go into all the deep techie crazy. Okay, Let's just to, to, to uh, follow up on one, on one of those points, which is, what exactly is the is the kind of implication of of having the people you most recently kind of communicated with? Is that is that specifically so that you have a starting point of well. Um, the way it works is any, uh, any point A can communicate to any point B at any time. So even if you have like a million people on the network, everyone can reach everyone else. 
Um, what I'm referring to here um, is what are called broadcasts, which is where your computer will actually announce that, for example, you're running iTunes and you have music available, or something like that. And it's the broadcasts that are handled in, uh, in this implicit social switching sort of way. So it it's a way of... We're getting kind of into like very technical stuff here, and maybe getting yeah, away we're, we're, a high level, but um, it's a way of, of scaling things up to very large sizes. Okay, so if we if we step step back a tiny bit, yeah. um, Adam, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and you know how okay. you got to this point? Like, what's motivated you to to build Zero Tier One? Okay. Um, I've, I guess a better question in terms of my background would be what haven't I done? Um, I have done startup companies in technology. I've done uh, independent startups. I've done machine learning, genetic algorithms, artificial intelligence. I've done uh, network security for the United States government. I've done biotechnology. Uh, I've done loads of different things. Oh, my God. How old are you? <laughs> uh, 35. So I've when done, have you had time for, for uh, the way the way you do that is you go into startups and the average startup has a lifespan of one to two years. So when I look when I send my resume out, I have fifteen past positions, almost all of which are out of business. So <laughs> that's how you do that. You do it by uh, by hopping around between startups. I. Uh, I live in Asheville, North Carolina right now, but I used to live in Boston, Massachusetts, which is a much bigger startup hub. So I did a lot of that there. Um, and have, all these, <clears throat> have all these startups uh, encouraged you to start, start your own thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've, I've, uh, I've learned a lot about how it's done, and uh, I guess I've gotten kind of a, um, a, a seat-of-the-pants MBA through some of that, so I have some idea of how it's done. Um, the reason I created Zero Tier One is I saw what a lot of people see, which is that um, I grew up with the internet. I got on the internet in 1993 when I was a kid and um, sort of watched it develop all the way up to what it is now. And I watched you know, the capabilities increase and the bandwidth increase, but I've seen what a lot of other people see, which is that it's becoming more and more of a top-down sort of consumer medium, almost like television, where you have large numbers of, or you have small numbers of very big companies that own almost all of the portals for communication, and almost all of our communication goes through that. And so I spent a lot of time actually going all the way back to 2008. I spent a lot of time thinking about why is that? You know, why is it that if I want to send you a file, I have to go to Dropbox? Mm. Um, if I want to email somebody who lives next door, why does it get rooted to California and back? Through, through you know, and, uh, or, or for that matter, to have this conversation, why do we have to go to Google and back? Yeah. You know? um, so I started asking those kinds of questions, and I don't actually believe that it's um, that it's some kind of uh, sort of conspiracy to like sort of take the internet over. Um, I think, although there might be people that want to do that, I, I don't think that's why exactly it's happening. I think that the reason is, um, I go back to a philosopher of communications uh, who's very well known among, uh, among a lot of the early internet pioneers were very into this guy. His name was uh, Marshall McLuhan. And one of his most famous quotes is, the medium is the message. 
And what what that basically means is it, it means that things turn into what they are. And what I mean is things things evolve technologically, socially to match to to reflect their structure. So if you build a system or a medium that has a certain structure, like for example radio, the structure of radio is you've got one guy sitting in a chair, you know, talking into a microphone, it grow the, the community that's going to grow up around radio is going to look like that. It's going to be very centralized, very pyramid shaped. Yeah. So if you build a system, you're going to get a social system uh, that coalesces around it that looks like the system that you built. Now, the original idea of the internet um, was that it would be a point-to-point -point medium where any computer could contact any other computer. Um, fairly early in the story of that, we ran into two problems. One of them was uh, the, um, which is currently kind of being remedied, is that internet protocol version 4, IPv4, does not have enough address space to give every single device in the world an address. So we had to introduce this thing called network address translation, which is why you know you get on a local network and you don't have a public IP, you have a private IP. Mm -hmm. So um, that's one thing. The other thing is uh, when the internet opened up, and I remember watching this because um, I was on the internet at the time. You know, all these systems that used to be—it used to be kind of like a small town where nobody locked their doors. Um, when the internet opened up, you had this influx of people. Well, I'll, I'll make an admission. People like me, I was a teenager at the time, who uh, got on the internet and started hacking things. And uh, so there was very quickly a need to implement a lot of security and start locking doors. And so everybody got behind firewalls. So right. what that does is, you know, there, there were very good reasons that these two things were done. But what it did is it created a network where it's very, very difficult for leaves of the tree to communicate directly between each other, because so, the so to kind of so to to just to jump in so the the lack of addresses meant that you know each device didn't have its own identity so you couldn't right. pinpoint that and then you know for me to pinpoint your specific you know device yeah. you could really connect directly so there was already this sort of need to kind of route through you know central uh, networks and servers absolutely and then the, the security meant again that the security measures were also um, more yeah, centrally that placed. created a second barrier so there are ways of getting around that um, zero tier one does some of that but it's very difficult it's very technologic technically complex and very difficult to engineer so in practice what it did is it created a network where the natural tendency is for information to only be able to flow up the tree uh, if we vis if we visualize the tree upside down only be able to flow up the tree to larger and larger nodes and so going back to Marshall McLuhan's theory of um, the medium is the message you know net network address translation and firewalls created a medium that inherently favors monopoly because um, mm -hmm that's the easiest way for us to meet. You know, Google can create a giant branch on the tree that we can both access very easily and so it creates a natural tendency for that for things to actually develop that way and then a whole bunch of companies have popped up to exploit this of course. But the, it's not that those companies have made it this way, it's that that's how the system has evolved. 
So, yeah. and I guess a lot of the technology now that is in place it really heavily favors it. So to the point where it's very difficult to do things differently because it's yeah. instantly unreliable because the system sort of right. not, kind of, right. uh, not set up for that. Um, so um, going back to your first question, which was yeah. uh, what so is I would say, is, is zero tier one though? I mean, it's not a kind of like a replacement for the uh, for the traditional model. It's it's no. something that sits on top. Right? No, it's not intending to replace the internet or to replace the routing protocols on the internet. Um, going back to your original question then, um, after telling that story and kind of going full circle, the reason it was created and the, the intent behind it is to allow people to join networks that are more like the way the internet was intended originally to be. So um, when you get on zero tier one and you join one of these giant local area networks, you're now on a flat network with all the other users and you can now communicate horizontally between any node and any other node the way you could on the early internet. Okay, so when you say, so just to unpack that a little bit more, okay. when, you, when you talk about a flat network, mm -hmm. I mean, do you mean that there's no need to kind of to kind of go up the chain of, of bigger yeah. and bigger nodes in order to in order to communicate? Yeah. yeah. Um, it the way the way it looks to your computer is when you join uh, a local area network a, a uh, actually you could almost call them GANs, global area networks. Um, when you join a zero tier one network uh, from your computer's point of view it looks like you've plugged into a local area network with all those other people. Amazing. So um, it, it, it looks like that from your computer's point of view. So one thing that's, uh, that's kind of fun that people do with the early alpha, and uh, it, by the way, uh, if you're a techno geek, you can go to zerotier.com and you can follow the link to GitHub and you can download the source and build it and get online right now. Um, once it is more mature out of alpha, I'm going to have like apps that you can click and install on your computer with a pretty graphical user interface that you know people that aren't as uh, techno geeky can use. But right now it's for the geeks. Um, if you get online, you'll be able to see other people's iTunes shares. You'll be able to uh, play games that run over local area networks, uh, things like that, as if you were all in the same room with all these people, even though you could be on different continents. And uh, the technology underlying that is actually a peer-to-peer -peer network. Um, but uh, going back to the question of what Zero Tier One is, um, I'll talk a little bit about what it isn't. Um, it has sort of a defined mission statement. Um, so I'm not, I'm trying to sort of stay on mission with it and I'm not trying to duplicate the functionality of a whole bunch of other things that already exist. So, for example, it's not Tor, it's not, um, it's not a privacy tool, per se. So it doesn't really give you any better privacy than just the regular IP internet connection gives you. Um, it's also not exactly a mesh net. So it's not totally decentralized. The way it works is uh, Zero Tier itself runs what are called super nodes that your nodes, that the, the nodes on the network use to rapidly find each other and establish communication. Now, it is open source and the super nodes run the exact same code as all the other nodes, so if you want to look at the source code, you're welcome to do that. But the so reason it's... 
Go um, ahead. How do how do these supernodes get um, how do they get set set up? I mean, are you going around creating and deciding where? Yeah. The right go? now, I, I run them. I run them on cloud providers, and the only thing that's different about a supernode is that it's designated as such, and it's always online, and it's always online at the same location, and it's uh, got a lot of bandwidth. So. So, so that so that makes them yeah. kind of more reliable. So at the moment, yeah. you're not depending on all the different kind of users being online for the for the network to be up because right. just, all you need that's is a, to make sure that's a difference. Like that. That's a difference with mesh nets. Um, there's this there's this theorem in computer science called the CAP theorem, uh, CAP theorem. So if you Google it, you'll find the Wikipedia page. And the CAP theorem deals with databases. Um, but I think there's kind of a corollary that you can that you can say about computer networks because computer networks, in order for things to find each other, they have they, it has a characteristic not unlike a database. So I have a, I can't call it a theorem because I haven't formally proved it, but I have a conjecture. The uh, the conjecture that I have is that you have kind of an engineering trade-off where it's efficiency, security. And decentralization, pick two. So yeah, I think I, I have a feeling yeah. I've I've heard this. Uh, I, I might not be the only person that's ever made that observation. Uh, that that may actually be an already known thing. I don't know. No, I, I, it's it's, yeah. it's 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 I think it's great. And then and you've picked. Um, I picked efficiency and security. So uh, with a heavy emphasis on efficiency. So the idea is you get on zero tier one. If you want to talk to someone else, it pretty much happens instantly. And there's a guarantee that if both of you are online, it's going to pretty much happen instantly. Um, in order to do that, you uh, it is most efficient to have uh, some uh, fixed points that are like anchors that are kind of always there. Now, it does use encryption, and the encryption is end-to-end. -end. So, for example, I can't read your traffic. Um, your traffic is actually encrypted. But you and the other party will use those those fixed anchors to find each other and establish a direct connection. And it happens very quickly. It happens almost as fast as if you just ping a system on the open internet. Oh, wow. um, so going back again to what is it, um, I actually don't see it so much as a direct decentralization tool in the same way that a mesh net is. Um, its goal is not to do the same thing as a mesh net uh, in the sense of creating a network that is a mesh that no one can take down because it doesn't have any center. Um, there, are, there are other really good projects doing that. I look at it more as a deperimeterization tool. And that term uh, comes from a fellow named uh, Paul Simmons, who's also in the UK, who um, he is more of a corporate IT security and uh, CIO kind of person. So he's, you know, when he talks about it, he's approaching it more from that point of view. But what deparameterization means is basically getting rid of the firewall, getting rid of network address translation, having devices just occupy a flat network the way they did in the beginning before the internet got big. Okay, and, and, and for our, for our, you know, slightly more le less technical, uh, yeah. What what is the benefit of you know getting rid of the firewall? What why is why was well, why is that a problem? There's a there's sort of two benefits. There, there's three benefits really. The one that um, 
I have one of Paul uh, Simmons's talks linked on the Zero Tier blog, so if anyone goes there, they can find that. Um, the benefit that he talks about is agility. Like, right now, if, um, if I'm in an office and I want to communicate with a computer in another office, you know, we have to set up all kinds of complicated firewall rules or VPNs and all sorts of things, and it's really complicated and time-consuming and annoying, and, oh, so we might as well just use Dropbox. So that then brings yeah, us to the second thing, which is that the Internet being built the way that it is with firewalls and NAT in the way uh, inherently favors monopolization. And then the third benefit, I think, is enabling us to do new things. Um, computer networking has only been around, really, on a large scale for 20 years. I mean, it existed before that, but really in a way that most people could use it for 20 years. Um, I find it really hard to believe that we have done anything more than just scratch the surface of what can be done with computer networks. So one of my hopes with Zero Tier One is that I've created a laboratory where people can install this thing and they can hop on these giant virtual LANs and they can prototype using the exact same uh, IP networking protocols that they're used to programming with, um, entirely new things that you can't even really think about right now on the open internet because firewalls and NAT are in the way and you could never build them. So could you just sort of see if you, can you, like, is there like a concrete example? Okay. Um, kind of entirely new things? That yeah, yeah. Um, let me think. Um, Imagine if all of the apps that run on your computer, like um, Adobe Photoshop, uh, software engineering tools, uh, word processors, all these things, imagine if they were able to export a web API almost like the way a lot of large web services do. So like you start up your, um, you start up uh, Microsoft Word and it actually opens a port on your system and makes available a what's an API which stands for application programming interface where other apps anywhere in the world if they had an authorization key from you could connect to it and interact with it so then we could have things like collaborative editing um, collaborative debugging of software um, I could start up Microsoft Word over here, and you could start it up over there, and we could edit the same document. Um, right, and instead of kind of doing this through through Google Docs, right, which we're sitting on a on a central on the central server, it which would means be, that you know somebody can get into Google systems and spy on you if they want to. Yeah. So the, so so the so the difference is that that you you both have this application uh -huh. and. The fact that you're kind of connected through a through a flat, uh, a flat network network means that you know by exposing these these APIs you can then talk to each other in in, in real yeah. time. I mean, you can just connect directly. Um, why is it that if I want to send you a file, I'm in North Carolina, you're in London. Why does the file have to go to California, and then all the way back to London? Why can't I just send it directly? Because everything's in the way. Well, of course, when, when you say directly, you mean still rooted through these super nodes, presumably. Um, well, the way it works is the super nodes are really just locators. Um, if you get into the technical details of how the protocol works, 
Um, when you first try to communicate with somebody, it tries to communicate through a super node, but then once it finds them, the, the two nodes use uh, a bunch of sophisticated network protocols to do what's called NAT traversal, where they establish a direct connection. Now, the thing, so what happens is uh, you're only communicating through the super node for about three seconds, and then uh, once you communicate, if you ping someone, you can actually see this happen. You can see the ping time drop, and the reason that happens is you're no longer going through the super node. Um, Right, and so yeah. so you can connect. So like your computer will be, will be connecting directly to. My you, know, you know, I just thought of a very good way of uh, of explaining it. Still kind of technical. Um, it's kind of like DNS. Um, the way DNS works is instead of having to memorize uh, numerical IP addresses, I can enter Google.com and it just looks up where Google is and I go there. Um, this is kind of like that. If I want to communicate with your computer. First, we go through the supernode, and then the supernode lets us find each other's actual locations. And mm -hmm. then, once we find each other's actual locations, we can just connect directly. Okay. It's still, still kind of techy. Um, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. I, 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 that, I think that that sounds awesome. Yeah. And it's, and it's what, yeah. by default, like, and so it's it's yeah. always end-to-end -end encrypted, so all the kind of actual traffic. Yeah, I, I can't. If I'm sitting at the super node, I can't read your traffic. I just see a bunch of encrypted stuff go back and forth. So I don't know what you're talking about. I do know that you're talking, but I don't know what the content is. Right. And, and what kind of yeah. encryption do you use? Um, the actual algorithms used uh, are. Um, I've actually got an article on on the wiki about that. Um, it uses okay. something called elliptic curve uh, Diffie-Hellman to do the key exchange, and then it uses uh, an algorithm called uh, Salsa Twenty. Uh, with a 256-bit key wow. to actually encrypt the traffic. So if you go to the wiki, I've got links to the algorithms, and there's actually... Um, the wiki doesn't have much on it right now, but it's got something called a deep technical fact, which has, right now, the only section is about encryption because a bunch of people were asking me about that. So go to, go to wiki.zerotier.com, and you can, uh, you can read, read all about it. Okay, perfect. And so my other question is sort of what um, what are the implications on privacy? So from okay. what I can tell, it's um, it's you know your you, it's important that kind of you know you will know my kind of IP address right. and my, my location. Mm -hmm. And um, at the moment, the zero tier one doesn't doesn't have any kind of private network. So so everyone's essentially on the same network, which right? Is, which is which is public. So you know, what, what implications does that have? Um, like I said, it's not, it's not trying to duplicate the functionality of other tools. So um, if you want something that totally hides your location on the internet and you want to have strong privacy, then you should go look at something like Tor or I2P or something like that. Um, this doesn't, it doesn't require that you identify yourself. You don't have to make an account on zerotier.com if you don't want to. So, in fact, uh, it's in alpha, and there's no mechanism for making an account yet anyway. So, uh, so you don't have to tell me who you are if you don't want to, but I would say it doesn't offer any better privacy protection than just getting on the Internet through your ISP does. Um, Zero Tier One is more about capability. It's more about um, enabling you to connect and do things in a more flat, many-to-many uh, -many kind of way uh, than it's about privacy specifically. Now, the fact that it uses encryption means I can't read your traffic, so uh, that 
in, that protects your privacy to some extent. Right. But but the but yeah. the metadata of you know that we're having a conversation. Right. From, you know, from the yeah. Um, that will if be... you want to hide that, you would have to use it through Tor or something yeah. like that, and then there would be no way to locate the actual node that was communicating. Okay. So so what's next for zero zero tier one? Well, um, now and and I hear yeah. people already using it for all there's, kinds there's, of things. There's uh, anywhere from a dozen to a couple dozen people online. Um, the biggest things I've noticed people doing is uh, playing games and uh, listening to each other's iTunes music shares. Those are like the two main activities I've seen so far, or awesome. that people have told me about. I can't really see what people are doing, but people yeah. tell me what they're doing. What 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 kind of games are people are people playing? Um, Minecraft. Um, I think somebody got the original, um, like old version of Starcraft, running over it, and I'm not sure how they did that, but they were playing that. Um, some people were playing old, uh, old Quake. Uh, you know, so people have played games with it. Uh, right now, if you download the alpha, there's only one virtual land. It's called Earth, and it's exactly what it sounds like. Um, so when you install the alpha and you run it, you get dumped on this one virtual land with everyone else. Now, um, as far as the future goes, uh, the next things to be done with it is the ability to create multiple virtual lands. So you could go to the website and make an account, and you could create a virtual land for your city. So if you wanted to have a, a network called London, you could create that, and then people in London could join that and they could collaborate, or you could create a network for a certain interest, like Minecraft, um, or even just a network for yourself, you know, me and my friends. So that's what I mean by literal social networking. I've thought about things like Facebook and Google Plus uh, integration, where uh, you could have a button, you could install a Facebook plugin, and you could have a button that says, join this person's network. And you click it, and you're now on the network with them. Um, I also have some uh, commercial aspirations with this about it actually being a startup. So um, my current thought, and this, this may change depending on how things go, is to charge for the ability to create private invite-only networks. So you can create public networks for free, you can join them and use them for free, but if you want to create a network that is invite-only, which is something that a lot of businesses might want to do, then you have to sign up uh, for a certain amount per month, and then you can create invite-only networks. Sure, so, so almost like the GitHub model. <laughs> yeah, kind of, actually exactly like the GitHub model. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's my current thought. That may change depending on how the market works out, but my hope is that it will put a little bit of support behind this because um, I think it's important that if, if decentralized and de-perimeterized networking is to you know, to actually grow to the point that it can make a difference in the way the Internet is structured. I think it's important that it gets a little bit of uh, money and momentum behind it. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, people have to eat, and there's only so much that, you know, lone hackers can do. They can do pretty cool things, but, uh, you know, you're, we're going to have to get a little bit of momentum behind this if we want to actually do things differently. Yeah, and that, so, that leads me on to, uh, to, my, to my kind of, Closing yeah. question or set of questions, which is um, which is how do people get involved? You know, uh -huh. if, if people want to, if people want to help out or or just you know get started, um, how do they do that? And um, and lastly, 
you know, if you, you know, what do you dream of, you know, like, okay. in five, three years' time? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so how can people get involved? Um, if you're a non-techie person, you can just go to zerotier.com and you could subscribe to the blog, um, add the blog to your feed reader, or it's actually a Tumblr-hosted blog, so you can, uh, you can follow it there if you want to, too. Um, and you can read about it, and I'm going to be posting updates to the blog as things develop. Um, if you're a, more of a technical kind of person, like a coder or uh, an IT person, you can go there and you can click through to the source code on GitHub. And I would love it if people try this out, try to do things with it, um, and post bug reports if things don't work. So um, I'm kind of pleased. So far there have been very few major bugs, but... Uh, Maybe that means not enough people have tried it out because it's pretty hard to develop software that doesn't doesn't have a lot of bugs in it. So tell me what the bugs are. Um, enter issues on GitHub. Um, if you want to chip into the code base, you can. Um, it's uh, it's right now has a big development tree going on. If you look at the GitHub branches, there's one that's my dev branch, which is quite quite ahead of the uh, existing branch, and it's where I'm adding support for automatic configuration of multiple networks. So the next thing that's going to happen is the website is going to get a sign-up uh, button where you can click and create an account, and then you'll be able to create networks and browse networks and all that kind of thing. And awesome. then and then what will it, what is my vision or what, what is my hope? Um, by the end of the year, I hope to have it in beta, and I hope to have some actual paying subscribed customers that are actually using this. And then I'm debating back and forth whether I want to continue to bootstrap it or whether I want to go for some kind of uh, like Kickstarter or angel investing or something like that. I haven't decided that yet. Um, but I may, I may try to go for something like that. Um, but in terms of features, uh, especially if I can get a little bit of support behind it, um, the next steps would be things like geo-awareness. So, for example, what if you want to be on a LAN with everybody within 100 miles of you? Uh, so you could do all sorts of cool, cool things like that that I think, I think would be both very fun for people. Like, uh, oh, a LAN for everybody within a mile of me. Well, okay, I can see all my neighbors. Um, and also would be interesting from a point of view of developing entirely new kinds of things that we can do with networks because it's um, a lot of people when when I read you know people thinking about getting away from the centralized model um, a lot of people are thinking oh we need to we need to compete with Facebook we need to compete with Google I'm actually more interested in what can we do that hasn't been discovered yet what can we do that is totally new? Because like I said, I, I really find it hard to believe that the web and websites is the only thing you can do with a computer network. So, so, so for you, if, if, you know, if like millions of people were using it, yeah. there'll be sort of this kind of possibility for people to discover new kind of more inventive ways to yeah. collaborate and, and, and communicate and work yeah. together and, and it's not going to be limited by the sort of central right at the moment. And uh, one thing I didn't mention is w one of my goals with this, um, I guess I did mention it um, indirectly when we were talking about how it works, is I want this to be very easy for people to use. So 
the uh, when it gets into beta, and especially when it gets out of beta, um, it's going to be an app that you can just install on your computer, and it has a graphical user interface, and you can just click join network, and you're on, and that's it. So well, music to yeah. make it. So you won't. Right now, you have to be a geek because it's only in source code form, but you won't have to be a geek when it's in uh, in beta or live. Okay, brilliant. Well, I think this is sort of this. Uh, We've kind of run out of time, so I think we'll okay. uh, close off. Adam, thank you so much for your time. This is okay. uh, this has been fascinating for me, and I hope other people. And I think hopefully in future we'll catch up with you again and 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 see how you know how it's all going. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe we can talk again, or even talk more about like the the aside issue of like what could we do with flat networks because uh, I have some ideas there too and that's I guess that's another one of my long term dreams is if some some momentum could get behind this would be to develop more stuff that uh, really leverages what you can do with flat networks. Brilliant. Okay. Well, okay. We, we will we will have to talk about that again. Okay. All right. Great. Bye. Bye.